With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brebber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Charles Darwin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Nerd Sesh. If, you know, the 50-something episodes of content we put out last semester wasn't enough for you, I promise we'll be back with even more this semester. And today we're going to be talking some basketball. Um, Hoop Nerds and Nerd Sesh, they have actually merged. Mm -hmm. So the brands, the owners, there was a lot of tension between the two owning groups, but they were able to work it out and negotiate a deal where now everything's under Nerd Sesh. Yeah, it was a hard-fought battle between the lawyers for both organizations, but they came together and they are now one. So that was a pretty incredible development. So just to give the schedule for the semester, on Wednesday, we are going to be doing basketball podcasts, which, you know, was hoop nerds back in the day. Uh, Fridays, we are going to be doing sports history content. And then on Sundays, we have the live show on blazeradioonline.com from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, but without further ado, I'm a little bit under the weather, Logan. I will be honest with you about that. But I am so excited to talk basketball. It's been so long. And since it has been a while, we're going to be doing our winter break awards for the NBA. It's award season. We've got the Golden Globes. We've got the Academy Awards. And we've got the winter break awards. And actually, we're going to be doing our midseason awards later on, too. So it's really award season here at Nerd Sesh. First winter break award, Logan, MVP. Who is it for you? Um, so in my eyes, it was a clear two-horse race between two players, and those two players are Giannis Antetokounmpo and James Harden. Um, Giannis and Harden both went 11-3 and three over the break. Harden did what, you know, he's done. I... If, if you're confused, uh, you give me a look. It, I did up until the 14th, mm-hmm. so a little bit into back into the school up until our pod today. Mm-hmm. So Harden um, over my break, 37.3 points per game, 6.4 rebounds, 7.6 assists, 49 from the field, 45 from deep, and 81.5 from the line. Giannis, 28 points, 12 boards, and 5.5 assists with 53% from the field, 67% from the line, and 33% from deep. Obviously, the percentages aren't great for Giannis. Um, Carson, so in your eyes, who won out between the two players? So let me be clear about the criteria here, because on the season as a whole, I don't think there's any debate that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP yeah. right now. The Bucks are 36 and six. It's utterly ridiculous. But over this stretch, which was from December 10th through today, I would take James Harden. And the reason is the efficiency. Now, 
I went a day further than you did. I included yesterday's stats. So uh, the shooting numbers for Harden are a little bit worse, but still 37 and a half points a night, 1.3 steals and 1.3 blocks per game, actually at least contributing as a defensive playmaker in the shooting numbers over 47% from the field, 43 and a half percent from three, 63.7% true shooting is better than Giannis decent by a decent margin. Giannis is at just 61.8. This is happening while Harden is dealing with double teams repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Teams are defending him differently from every other player in the NBA. They're throwing the, the kitchen sink at this dude because they are saying, okay, Russell Westbrook, go beat us. Go, go beat a two on one. Go make the right decisions when we double Harden. And Westbrook is playing a little bit better lately, but mm-hmm. Harden facing a ridiculous amount of offensive pressure um, is putting up just ridiculous numbers and playing winning basketball. Yeah, I would like to clarify that Harden is my pick for MVP mm-hmm. over winter break. Um, but not only was Harden consistent, but he had a few, I mean, breakout performances, um, yeah. a few what, 40, 50-point games? I mean— it, He opened up our our stretch with a 55-point game and a 54-point game. And you know what makes me mad, Carson? Tell me. Any other player does that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. But yeah. Harden does this with such regularity, it yeah. seems, that it's it's almost not important. It's not significant anymore. I mean, he averaged 37.5 points per game over this stretch. That's below his season average. That tells you the kind of ridiculousness we're dealing with. And he when he does it at this efficiency, while facing double teams like he is— that, to me, is the separation. You can argue the defense for Giannis, and Giannis is, without a doubt, one of probably the six or seven best defenders on the planet. Harden is nowhere near that realm. But he was contributing, at least as a defensive playmaker, over this stretch, and the scoring is just ridiculous. I agree that it's a two-horse race. My next guy, though, and I do think that there's a decently clear number three over this stretch, Nikola Jokic, who was pretty remarkable, averaged 23.1 points, 9.6 rebounds, 6.7 assists, and the shooting is insane. 55.8% from the field, 46.1% from three, 79.6% from the line, 65.9% true shooting. Just utterly ridiculous, had that 47-point performance in crunch time, has been really pretty aggressive and has actually just been more aggressive throughout. When this guy gets in the post, he's almost unstoppable because he has such remarkable touch and he weighs 300 pounds. So you can't, you really can't stop him. And he just bullies guys down there. And then also he's shooting way better from three. Had just a horrendous start of the season, was shooting like 22%. Now shooting 46% over this, you know, last month plus. And the Nuggets are winning. And they beat really good teams. Sometimes they play down a competition. They have, you know, losses to the Hawks and the Cavs on the season. But they just handle the Clippers and they do that to really good teams. So I'm going to ask you, Carson, do you think Jokic continues how he's been playing? Does he improve? Does he stay the same? Or does he go back to how he started at the start of the season the rest of the way? No, I think he keeps up this level of play, which is an incredible level of play. And, you know, he would be in the MVP conversation if he had played like this all season. He was, of course, my MVP pick. Then he came out sluggish. He was totally passive, and he had a terrible start to the season. But I'm glad to see that he's turned it around. No, I'm telling you, my preseason pick is Steph Curry. It's a lock. That's actually a good pick. Looking back, that is a good pick. You know, LeBron, as far as other MVP candidates for this stretch, still putting up ridiculous numbers, 24.9, 9.6 boards, and 10.4 assists on 48, 33, 68 clips with an 11-3 record for the Lakers. That's very impressive. That's LeBron. He's still the best player on the planet. But then if you look at the other guys, the next tier, Doncic, AD, to me, the Mavs, you know, Doncic missed a few games. The Mavs just went Mm -hmm. seven and six when he was healthy. And AD is such a clear second horse to me on this Lakers team that I couldn't put him in that top tier of guys. And I mean, defensively over the break, Anthony Davis was lights out. I mean, he's he's been that all season long, but he really showed out during winter break. No, I mean, he's been 
as good of a rim protector mm-hmm. as there is in the NBA this season, and he's always had that pizzazz for defensive playmaking. Over the break, averaged 1.6 steals in 2.4 blocks per game. Um, not shooting that well from deep, though, mm-hmm. which I think is something that part of the the intrigue of Anthony Davis is that he can, quote-unquote, do everything offensively. He can handle the ball, play, make, shoot the three. He's not always great at all those things, but obviously not to criticize a you know top five, six player in the league. So that's the big one. The MVP, we both agree, goes to James Harden. Good for yeah. him. Good for him. The most impressive team over winter break. To me, there's only really one answer. Yeah. It was the team that lit the league on fire. The Utah Jazz, 15-1 and over break. They were 13-11 and before that. They had a negative 0.2 point differential. Since December 10th, plus 9.9 point differential. Not only the number one offensive rating in the league at 118.6, which is insane. That would be by far the best offensive rating of all time and still a top 10 defense. So many guys have turned it around. Joe Ingles totally turned his season around. The addition of Jordan Clarkson, Emmanuel Moutier giving quality NBA minutes for the first time ever. This is outstanding, and it's without Mike Conley. Correct me if I'm wrong. Jordan Clarkson is undefeated as a member of the Utah Jazz so far, correct? I'm pretty sure you're correct. And he's averaging 15 a game. It's a vintage Jordan Clarkson in his element stat line for the season because it's 15 points, 1.9 rebounds, and 1.3 assists. The dude does nothing but score, but he's scoring really effectively, and that's what they needed. And the Cavs got back Dante Exum. Yeah, that's not exactly a haul. That's not a haul, but the other guy to me that has really turned it around here is Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles was averaging before this stretch seven and a half points in four assists per game on 36.6% from the field, 32.8% from three. That's not the sharpshooting genius playmaker Joe Ingles that we've known. Over this stretch, since December 10th, 16.8 points, 5.8 assists on 53.4% from the field, 53.8% from three. That's not all-star level, but it's, you know, the closest thing to it. And I'd also like to say, so we were a little um, ambiguous with the most impressive, um, you know, award. Yeah. A a member of the Utah Jazz, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mm -hmm. crazy solid during the break. And it's been all season long for him. It just it just surprised me that at the start of the year, I had my questions about him in the starting lineup even, mm-hmm. and he's proved me wrong, of course, over the break and without Mike Conley. Yeah. The Jazz have just uh, blown me away. And Mike Conley should be coming back soon. Reports are that, you know, he's practicing. He looks pretty good in practice according to, I don't remember, I guess, I don't remember who, oh, Zach Lowe, I guess, was watching that practice and said he looked pretty good. But Bojan has been sensational as a second scorer. If this were the Eastern Conference, he'd be a no-brainer all-star because he can score for you in so many ways. He's a lead off the catch. He's also a guy with his size that can get a shot off on anybody. Sneaky athletic, not to say that he's an athlete, but going downhill, you know, he can finish over some dudes. And then you do have... Donovan Mitchell even playing better over this stretch. 5.7 assists per game for Donovan Mitchell over the past month plus. You talk about him, you know, going back into his role as the primary, primary ball handler. Him and Conley had sort of split that role. Now the ball is in his hands and he's setting dudes up and shooting 50% from the field. Moutier's playing well, as we mentioned, 20 minutes a game, 9-3-3. Royce O'Neal shooting 44% from three. And I think another bright spot. They've cut Jeff Green out of the rotation. Mm -hmm. Jeff Green was playing 19 minutes a game, really was pretty ineffective for them, shooting under 40% from the field, knocking down 34.9% of his threes, which is solid, but he doesn't really give you much else out there. So I think it's nice to, you know, get him out of the unit, have Jordan Clarkson come in as that guy who fills it up off the bench. And they've been great. Uh, Some other shout outs, because I do think there are a couple other teams that have been really impressive. It's just tough to turn down a 15 and one team. And by the way, this is so jazz. They start off the season mediocre as they've done now for the entire Donovan Mitchell era. This is the third straight year. And then the second half plus of the season, they're a top three team in the league. To me, this is the most Denver Nuggets thing the Utah Jazz could have done. Explain that to me. 
Um, I don't know, man. It just seems like the Nuggets <laughs> have been uh, so uh, inconsistent. I think this is the most Utah Jazz thing the Jazz could have done. Because okay. this is the third straight year. They do well, it every year. I mean, because at the start of the year, at least, with the Nuggets and the Jazz as well, me and you, I, I can't tell you how many conversations we had during a podcast. Man, what, is, what happened to the Nuggets? And yeah. then they'd blow us away. Yeah. And the Nuggets were still winning games, which is the thing. And that's something Mike Malone, I, I heard someone quote Mike Malone as saying after 20-something games, like, we're not even playing near our best. And they were, you know, second in the West. Carson, I have never had anyone check my card so fast. Well, sorry. I just... I, Explain that to me. Like, <laughs> well, I liked, my, I liked my own Utah Jazz comparison. I wanted to keep that one around. But the second team I would talk about, there are, I think, three legitimate teams the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is a team that I looked at really at about the start of this stretch, right when they climbed around 500, and I said, I really think this team is going to be in the playoffs because the three-headed monster of SGA, Chris Paul, and Schroeder started to take off. And, you know, they may not have the superstar. Chris Paul could be an all-star. SGA in the East is mm-hmm. no doubt an all-star. Um, Schroeder is playing phenomenally. 20.2 points per game on 38.5% from three over this stretch. And with Schroeder, you always take the good and the bad. He's a little bit of a wild child. He he shoots a lot, that's for sure. But if he hits over 38% of his threes, I am very happy with that. Yeah, um, all I have to add on that point is shout out Shea Gilgis-Alexander for what he's done this year because, well, as you know, I had the Thunder winning <laughs> like 20 games or something in that range. I yeah. didn't expect such a dominant jump. And like you said, quite the performance over the break for SGA. Yeah, SGA is, uh, he's, you know, he hasn't shot that well from deep on the season as a whole. He's He's been okay, only shot 31% over this stretch, but he just gets to the rim at will. Just gets to the rim at will. Still, to me, it's going to be interesting to see in the post-Chris Paul era what he's like as the primary mm-hmm. ball handler for this team because the assists aren't all that high. But that's also not his goal. His, his job is to go out there and score. Chris Paul has been incredible. Dude is as far from washed as can be. I mean, he got off to a bit of a rocky start to the season. To me, seemed a little bit disengaged. And I think it's because he didn't expect to stay in Oklahoma City. And now he realizes, this is my home. We're going to make the playoffs. You say that. Were people saying that Chris Paul was washed? Well, I think that there was a bit of a notion. I don't know. You know, the Rockets moved on, didn't get off to the best start to the season. Obviously, always injury riddled. Maybe not washed, but I on think the, he's as decline? Yeah, I think he's as good as he was the past two seasons. Yeah. I think he is still a really, really good basketball player. Um, and I do like a couple guys in their rotation besides that. I like Darius Baisley. I like Terrence Ferguson. Um, I like Hamadou Diallo. And I like Nerlens Noel, who's been out for a little bit, but he's a good player. Um they also, over the stretch, beaten the Rockets, Mavs, Raptors, and Clippers. Clippers didn't have Kawhi, but those are some really good wins. The other team, and this is a team that I think um, we'll get to later, because for me, they're the clear mm-hmm. winner for another award, but the Memphis Grizzlies. 12-6, and six, number three in offensive rating, number three in pace. They are running, and we can save some of this for later, but at least we should acknowledge they've won six straight now. They beat the Rockets. They beat the Clippers with Kawhi by 26 points. They've beaten the Thunder, and they've beaten the Heat. Uh, they're phenomenal to me. So we'll talk about them more later because they're the clear winner for another award. And one last uh, thing I'd like to mention on yeah. the most impressive train uh, from your Golden State Warriors, Alex Burks. Uh, Alex Burks looked yeah. okay. Alex he, Burks is fine. He looked all right. Yeah. I mean, Golden State doesn't have a whole lot to root for this year. I know you uh, have experienced that as a fan, yeah. but um, I just wanted to give a shout out for Alec Burks for averaging uh, 17 points over our winter break. I do think Alec Burks is one of the guys that will be on the team next year. Hopefully as like nothing more than an eighth man, but he's a guy that at least can hit his shots, can create for himself a little bit. Not that we really want him to going forward, but you know, and 
he's not a, he's good enough as a defender. I'm not, I don't love Alec Burks, but like my little brother <laughs> who watches every Warriors game, you know, back at home, he's like loves Alec Burks. And, you know, I have to remind him of how sad of an existence that is as a Warriors fan, having just won, you know, three titles, mm-hmm. the bar has moved quite a bit, but let's move on from the positive to the negative. Logan, the most disappointing team over this stretch, who do you have? Um, so I had Philly. Um, mm-hmm. I also wrote down a player. Uh, player is actually really hard. I don't know yeah. why I did it again. We went pretty ambiguous uh, yeah. with most disappointing. But I think it's uh, had to be the 76ers because they just haven't looked right all season long. And it's it goes back to the spacing issues that they've had mm-hmm. at the start of the year. And it carried into winter break. I don't even know if it's disappointing because... I don't know. I think it's disappointing because we had such high expectations for them at the start of the year and they have not corrected the course whatsoever. Yeah, the Sixers are the sixth seed right now. I mean, they are a tremendously flawed team and they were my pick, but I do think there's a little bit of conflict here. And here's why they went eight and nine over this stretch. And that obviously on its face looks pretty bad, but they didn't lose to a non-playoff team. They actually beat the Nuggets and they beat the Celtics twice. They beat the Bucks on Christmas Day, obviously, in a thrashing. That was the best they've shot the basketball all year. And, you know, there go your spacing problems when you shoot 50% from three. And they've lost the Rockets, the Mavs twice, the Heat twice, and the Pacers twice. So those are really good teams. But, you know, number 16 offensive rating, number 15 defensive rating. The number 15 defensive rating to me is troubling because the spacing issues, that at least makes sense. This team should be a top five defense no matter what, over any stretch of basketball. Mm-hmm. Four of their five starters have negative plus minuses. They're one and four without Embiid, though, and they're seven and five with him, which is part of the reason why I was a little mixed on this selection because without Embiid is when they've really struggled, which I actually didn't expect. I said I thought they'd be fine without him because I thought, you know, you put Horford back into his role as more of a legitimate offensive star and centerpiece where he doesn't just have to stand behind the three-point line the whole time so Embiid can have room to operate with because of, of course, the enigma that is Ben Simmons, which basically ruins their entire spacing offensively. But Horford has been bad even when Embiid's been out. He's really having a hard time, and I don't know how he contributes to this team in the home stretch of the playoffs. I think that's a serious cause for concern. Ben Simmons is thriving, though. He's playing really great basketball after a pretty ugly start to the season. Defensively, he's on the Kawhi Matisse-Thibault level of just taking the ball from people. He's so aware. He sees those split-second openings where people are just lazy with the ball, and he just takes it. And he's obviously a monster in transition. He's a great passer. So I was upset with Ben Simmons early in the season. I've come around a bit more. He's playing some really good basketball right now. And the other candidate for me, most disappointing, Logan, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Oh, no. They have to be here. Our hometown Phoenix Suns, who so much hope um, was invested in them. They're 5-12 and 12 over the winter break stretch. They were 11-12 and 12 before. 22nd offensive rating, 23rd defensive rating, 29th in three-point percentage, hitting 30.8% of their threes. That's like ASU's college basketball team, which is also a horrendous shooting team. You look at the percentage of some of the guys from the outside, Baines shooting 24% from three over that stretch after, you know, shooting the lights out of the ball to start the season. Dario Saric, a lifetime floor spacer, 28% from three. Mikal Bridges, 26% from three. And Devin Booker, who remarkably has still been super productive, is not hitting the outside shot, Mm -hmm. 24.6% from three. I mean, that'll bring any team down. So... The good news is they're not out of the playoff hunt because of how the West is this season. But, you know, you got to be kind of disappointed with them. Well, And you saw a couple of, you know, pretty big stars go, you know, cold from the uh, from behind the arc. Uh, Booker, obviously, 24 percent. And then uh, Jimmy Butler, I believe, shot 16 percent from deep over the break. Doesn't surprise me. It felt like he had a lot of games where he put up 18 points and he'd make like four shots because it would just be getting to the line. Mm -hmm. But he's had a spectacular season in his own right. So. 
Moving on, Logan, unless you have anything more to add to that department, we'll uh, we'll swing it over to the New Year New Me Award. This award is a little bit more um, subjective. This is someone who we just sort of have a gut feeling is going to turn around, had a rough start to the season, but in 2020, actually this could be New Decade New Me, someone that we think is going to turn around. Logan, who do you have in this category? So the winter break, um, the, the guy that really surprised me, and I think he's going to carry it into 2020, is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm. Um, I mean, 20 points per game and solid numbers from deep from him during the break. I obviously think you can attribute this to John Morant and the performance of some other Grizzlies. Uh, uh, Dylan Brooks looked really good over the break. Um, but I think it's Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he's going to take the jump that we really expected from him at the start of the season. I think he's going to carry this. Um, what do you think of the future is? I know we're probably going to get into this because they're, they're definitely the winners of another award for me. What, what can we expect from the Grizzlies moving forward with Jaron and Ja? I'm super excited about the Grizzlies. I think Jaw is a superstar. I think Dylan Brooks, as you mentioned, is really good. Brandon Clark is really good. D'Anthony Melton is playing really well for them. I don't think Triple J is good enough as a number two guy. And I'll explain why. Because the production was great over break. 20.2 points per game, 52% from the field, 45.5% from three. And 7.4 of his 14.2 field goal attempts per game came from three. So over half of his shots. Mm -hmm. But he is still, to me, a tremendously flawed player that for most of this season hadn't improved on, you know, his campaign from last year, still the same weaknesses. He doesn't really have the in-between games, though. The reason he's been so hot is because he's shooting the ball like a crazy man, like Davis Berton's level. You know, you take over half your shots from three and you hit 45 and a half percent of them. Anyone will buy in on that. I don't think he's going to do that for his career, though. You look at still not that developed as a post scorer, still doesn't get to the line, just free throws, three free throws per game, not a great rebounder, 4.9 rebounds per game over this stretch. And the fouls, super undisciplined on defense still, 4.1 personal fouls per game, which is basically on par with the season average. He's in foul trouble every game. So Triple J, I don't dislike. I think the reason that he's been performing so well, though, is really predicated on the fact that he's shooting the ball like he never has before. So some of the guys um, I have in the New Year, New Me category, my two top guys are actually both rookies. Number one would be Jarrett Culver. Jarrett Culver has already sort of started a turnaround for the Minnesota Timberwolves over his last eight games, averaging 15 points, shooting 44% from the field, 31% from three, on almost five attempts from three a game. He's not a great shooter of the basketball. Obviously, I think he shoots sub 50% from the line on the season, which is problematic, but He's a guy that to me has playmaking ability, has defensive versatility, and can score the ball. He's also plus 5.3 over this over these last eight games. Before that, was having a brutal season. 7.7 points per game, 36% from the field, 24% from three, 41% from the line, and negative 2.8. But I like what I'm seeing from Culver. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar guy, but he was a guy in the draft where I thought the ceiling might not be that high, but he can do a lot of things for you. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, and I think that another thing on Culver out of the draft was he can give you minutes right away. That was a big... Um a big reason why DeAndre Hunter went with the fourth mm -hmm. pick. His ceiling may not be as high as what draft prox, draft experts will mm -hmm. tell you. But uh, yeah, Culver obviously had the capacity to give the Timberwolves solid minutes immediately. Mm -hmm. Which he actually struggled to do at first. But now <laughs> we're seeing him come around with, you know, the weird, weird lineups the Timberwolves throw out there every night. Where you have Nas Reed playing heavy minutes and Shabazz Napier, who's one of the worst players in the NBA. No. At least LeBron got him drafted. Yeah, no, LeBron wanted him. LeBron wanted him. LeBron wanted him bad. 
Another rookie I have, a guy that is very different stylistically, Darius Garland, who got off to a really rough shooting start to the season, is now making his shots. This is a guy that I loved coming out of the draft, was one of my probably three favorite prospects. Over his last 15 games, averaging 14.9 points and 4.7 assists per game, shooting 45.5% from the field, 35.5% from three. Before that, was at just 10.9 and 2.8, 38% from the field, minus 7.6. So he's really flipped his season around. And I think it's just because he's getting more comfortable with the NBA pace. He he is a shot maker. He is a decent playmaker. He's a, you know, he's a score first guy, but he has better passing vision than, you know, his backcourt running mate, Colin Sexton. And he's a guy that I believe in as an NBA scorer. He's in the mold of the modern all-star point guard. And I think he'll get there someday. And I think that down the home stretch of the season, he's a guy that's going to put up some numbers. All right, I'm going to keep on rolling here, Logan. I've got one more guy that I think is going to turn it around, Aaron Gordon. Now, he has not started the turnaround. He has continued to be bad and disappoint for a Magic team that has really only beaten up on the bottom feeders in the NBA, and they haven't been all that great. He's averaging 13.7.6 rebounds, 2.7 assists per game on the season on 41-27-69 splits. That is so disappointing from a guy. We both came in here and said he should be an all-star in these before the season. Hasn't developed the game offensively, not hitting shots from the outside, not aggressive enough to me as a scorer in this season particularly, and the playmaking is down as well. But I just don't see that being sustained because I don't understand why all of a sudden he would just have that drop off. I think if he gets back to, you know, what made him such an effective player last season, if the ball's in his hands a little bit more, if he's making plays for other people and knocking down his own shots. I do think that he'll totally turn the season around. There are a lot of disappointing guys that I don't see turning around, though. Kristaps Porzingis, I just think, needs this full season to get back into the flow, to get aggressive again, because he's a different player out there right now. No, we keep it negative here. Go ahead. Tell me who you think is just going to stink. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna keep it negative then. KP is one guy. Al Horford is another guy, because to me, MB going out was sort of the last chance to restore some faith in Al Horford for me in this Philly situation. I still think he can be a great NBA player. I think it's really problematic in Philly. It's a really tough situation because of the Simmons and Bede pairing like that changes the entire dynamic of that organization forever. And I mean, people have been saying for, you know, experts have been saying for years now that someone's got to go. Yeah. And the trade rumors a year ago were Simmons to Houston for Chris mm-hmm. Paul or something along those lines. And you have to move on from somebody and it's got to be sooner than later because you're just wasting the prime of yeah one of these guys, whoever, you know, you're keeping. Yeah. And I've heard some Simmons for Drew Holiday rumors, but how does Simmons and Zion coexist? That doesn't make sense. Simmons I mean, for Drew Holiday. I'm, Drew Holiday is a tremendous player, but. Well, I, probably Drew Holiday and something because Simmons is playing really, really well right now. And then the spacing is terrible. <laughs> exactly. Then it's a disaster. And especially. Uh, so I don't know about that. Um, Gary Harris also just this one guy that just like has dropped off offensively so much from two seasons ago when he averaged like 17 on like 49% from the field, 38% from three. I think he's at like 11 a game this year, maybe 41% from the field. He's just weirdly struggling. Um, But we'll flip that to most impressive turnaround for a player. You guys are probably wondering, how is this even from the New Year New Me Award? Well, at Nerd Sesh, we like to confuse like that. New Year New Me is someone we expect to turn it around. (laughs) Most impressive turnaround is someone who's already done it. So Logan, who do you have here? Yeah, we keep it negative. We keep it complicated here at Nerd Sesh. So if you had asked me this question a week ago, Mm-hmm. I would have chosen Lonzo Ball mm. because I was happy with, you know, the 20 point yeah. outburst, yeah. I guess, um, which is kind of sad that a guy is putting up 20 points a game. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, he's really going crazy. Um, but the guy over break that I would pick is probably Nikola Jokic, just because you've been preaching it 
all you know, all of our podcasts, all of our basketball podcasts, you were preaching Jokic needs to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And a little over a week ago, we saw a 47 point and a 33 point back to back outburst from mm-hmm. Jokic, and um, it was really satisfying to watch. I think. We, we've talked about it earlier. We've, we're talking about it now. Mm-hmm. I think he's hit a stride, and I think he's going to continue that. And let me just say, he should have had 50 in that game. He missed four free throws. Um, he missed a couple open shots. The Hawks did a miserable job guarding him. On on the pick and pop, they were totally ignoring him and just giving him wide open threes, which, you know, early in the season maybe would have worked because he wasn't hitting anything. But that is where the turnaround has come from. Before the before December 10th, he was averaging 16.1 points per game, 46.5% from the field, 23% from three. We already gave you his numbers. He was the only guy I even considered. Mm-hmm. Lonzo is a good, actually a good nominee at least because he did have those four straight 20-plus point games. He was just knocking down shots, and he was actually pretty aggressive, which has always been the thing with Lonzo. Now, he doesn't have a great scorer's skill set, but he also doesn't have a scorer's mentality, and it was cool to see him play well for for a bit of um, down that stretch as the Pelicans try to, you know, maybe salvage the season, go to the playoffs with Zion coming back next week. Now, Logan, here's a themed award for you guys. Who was the Grinch this year? Okay, I have an idea, Carson. This is crazy. Let's give them no context. Let's just tell them the two players. Okay. And then we'll explain later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who are the Grinches? Okay. So the two players receiving the Grinch Award over for over winter break are uh, Andre Drummond and Robert Covington. That was a uh, you know applause from our studio audience. Yeah. The studio audience loved that. It's right like in your ear. A thousand people. Right in your ear. Is, is it a thousand? Tonight? I think so. Should we explain the Grinch Award? Sure. The Grinch Award is to uh, whoever had the most steals over winter break. So it goes to Robert Covington and Andre Drummond. That's the kind of content we're bringing you here at Nerd Session. No one else is looking at that kind of stuff. No one else is looking at the Robert Covingtons of the world, the Grinches of the world. That's what we do. Moving on to the Dennis Rodman Award for most hairstyles. This one, Logan, who does this one go to? Uh, The recipient for the Dennis Rodman Award is Josh Richardson. Yeah, um, Josh to me was the no-brainer. He's rocked a bunch of a bunch of dudes this year. He's got you know he's had the fro going. He's had the cornrows. He's had the dreads. An honorable mention I would like to give to Arizona State alum James Harden for trying the new cornrows headband look. I hated it. I thought it looked terrible, but he tried it. Uh, previous recipients of this award, uh, Jeremy Lin, mm-hmm. and surprisingly, <laughs> Jeremy Lin. It's a good one. Surprisingly, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Yeah. For just different variations of bald. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, who else has had some weird dues? Well, Dwight has the like purple dyed. Ooh. I don't like that. Kuzmo going blonde. Gerald Green. Remember? Yeah. Well, okay. I'm just thinking about guys in the NBA right now. Oh, no. I was thinking past recipients. Okay. Yeah. No, Gerald Green definitely had some great dues back in the day. I promise you the Dennis Rodman uh, hairstyle award is critically acclaimed. It's a big time award and we have definitely given it out in the past. Oh, yeah, we've given it out many times. So now let's bring it, Logan, to the best young team. Now, this is we we foreshadowed this one a couple times. It's got to be the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, 12 and 6 over this stretch, number three offensive rating, number three pace, 1 6 straight. I mentioned their impressive wins earlier. We talked about Jaron Jackson's juniors numbers, over 20 a game, ridiculous efficiency shooting the ball. Dylan Brooks, 17 and a half points per game over this stretch, shooting 40% from three. John Morant, 17 points, seven and a half assists, 
53.4% from the field, 38% from three, just a general out there, dominant in transition, makes so many advanced passes, sees everything, and is almost unstoppable going downhill. He's a great finisher, and if you leave him open from three, he's hit it all season. He's shooting right around 40% from deep on the season. All right, Carson, so if you can ballpark it for me, if the season ended today, where would the Grizzlies be drafting? They would be drafting, um, what would it be, 15th, I think? Okay, so I mean, you're, you have the potential to get maybe a guy with a high ceiling that's falling a little bit. I'm just trying to think about who else could be added to the mix next season for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, so they're not going to get that premier talent, which, as I mentioned, I think could be slightly problematic because I'm not sure Triple J mm-hmm. is that legitimate number two option yet, just because he needs to me to develop as a scorer besides just hitting threes and, you know, rolling to the rim. I want to see, you know, the in-between game develop. But Dylan Brooks is great. Um, and we got to mention DeAnthony Melton. Nine and a half points, four and a half rebounds, 3.2 assists per game, 48% from the field. This is a crazy stat. Plus minus per game, plus eight over wow. the stretch. More than double anyone else on the team. So for whatever reason, he's impacting winning in a big way. He was a guy that I liked a lot coming out of the draft and then bounced around. Houston didn't want him. Phoenix didn't want him. And, you know, just got minutes, uh, I believe, when John Morant went down. I think that's when he started getting minutes. And he's been great ever since then. And then Brandon Clark, another one of the great rookies um, in the NBA this season, averaging 12.7 points on 63% from the field. So, Good for the Grizzlies. I mean, they have a really nice young core going on down there under uh, rookie head coach Taylor Jenkins, and it's exciting to see. The other candidate, I would think, Logan, and I don't think anyone can contend with the Grizzlies, but the Pelicans. They've turned it around. Moderately. Yeah. I mean, the Pelicans wouldn't be a bad pick. Uh, we mm. you know, just heard that Zion will be making yeah. his debut very soon. I'm excited to see how that works. I think they're going to keep him on a little bit of minutes management starting mm-hmm. out and, you know, uh, try to balance out, make sure he doesn't get re-injured. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Pelicans have a supreme young talent. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that Zion's coming back. I thought so he was going to sit out all season. I thought they were going to pull a Ben Simmons where it's only a couple month injury, but they don't play because they're a valuable rookie on a bad team. But the Pelicans aren't all that bad considering the context of the West mm-hmm. where, you know, you're going to make the playoffs probably being an under 500 team, which hasn't happened in so long. Brandon Ingram, obviously having a phenomenal season. Lonzo, as we mentioned, played some better basketball. Jackson Hayes is getting a lot of minutes right now. Um, And at least as a rim runner, he's fun to watch. Derek Favors is playing well for them. So, you know, they're playing pretty well overall. And that is a predominantly young core outside of really Holiday, Redick, and Favors. Um, Let's move on, Logan. Now, let's give the Robert Ori Award for Best Role Player. This one was so hard for me. I couldn't pick a winner. And I had so many nominees, so I'm going to let you go first. Um, so people, get out your pillow. Um, you know, get, get ready to go to bed because I'm going to beat the Grizzlies back into you. My uh, pick for best role player was Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just his scoring numbers, 17 a night during the break. Grizzlies were 11-6 and six during that time period. I mean, I don't know if you can keep this up, but go ahead. Take a nap. We're going to be talking about the Grizzlies for a long time. Logan, interestingly enough, my pick, if I had to pick one, was the Grizzlies supporting cast as a whole because I'm weak. I oh, can't pick one out. guy like you. Yeah, I backed out. But I think the combination of um, Clark and Brooks and Melton was really, really strong, and I think that they've got to be the ones. Next up for me, Logan, my guy, Rashawn Holmes, who's just having an awesome season overall. Over break average, 14 points, 8.3 boards, 65% of the field, along with 1.1 steals per game and 1.4 blocks per game. Just an athletic rim protector, a guy that tries hard, a really good finisher inside, and just a damn good all-around NBA player. 
And what's funny is you've been a Rashawn Holmes guy for a while now. I mean, you have chewed my ear off about Rashawn Holmes. Well, he's a guy that whenever he was on the floor, even in previous stops, um, you know, in Phoenix, in Philly, he was productive. And he's always been a decent outside shooter. He's, he's got a little touch, but really he oper- he's great inside. And so he's fun to watch. Another guy I've got to give it to. Actually, you know, we're just going to run down the sharpshooters. Davis Bertans, Nemanja Bialica, and Duncan Robinson. These dudes are just ridiculous shooters of the basketball. Bialica shooting 45% from three. Robinson shooting 44.4% from three all, all since December 10th. And Bertans shooting 39%. They're all just buckets. They come in. They fill it up. And it's fun to watch. Carson, uh, solid information on the uh, sharpshooters and role players. Uh, So the next award that we're going to move on to is the Firework Award for the best breakout performance. Carson, who did you have? So did you guys get that firework because of New Year's? Come on, New Year's, you see the fireworks? Oh, that was good. Thanks, man. So that's what we do here at Nerd Sesh. We innovate. Um, Yeah, so for a single game breakout, I'm going to give it to my guy, Jordan McRae. 35 points, 12 of 26 from the from the field in that game, 4 of 10 from 3, 7 of 9 from the line. You know, he's 28 years old. He hadn't even played in half of an NBA season yet until this season. And he's actually doing really good things in Washington, averaging 13.7 a game on 45% from 3. He's kind of slithery. He's got a little stop and go, not afraid to shoot from mid-range, pretty aggressive attacking downhill and shooting the lights out. And what Scott Brooks has done with Washington's offense overall this season has been really impressive that even without Bradley Beal, they were still putting up, you know, 130 on people. That's crazy. Yeah. And I considered McRae for this award. Um, I also considered Harden for his back-to-back 50 pieces. But again, Harden does this with such regularity. It's hard to justify. My pick for the the firework award. Again, you you guys get it? Do you guys get it? Okay. I just wanted... Okay, you guys got it. All right. right, um, It was Spencer Dinwiddie's 41-point game against the Spurs. Now... The Nets ended up losing this game, which greatly disappoints me because I love Spencer Dinwiddie. Also, Dad, if you're listening out there, you still owe me a Spencer Dinwiddie jersey. Just wanted to remind you. Uh, Dinwiddie, alongside eight boards and six assists, 41 points, uh, very unexpected performance from him. Um, I had to give it to him. Who else did you consider, Carson? Let me just say first about Spencer Dinwiddie. I think he's having a borderline all-star season. I don't know if I could put him in, but he carried you know, the Nets when when Kyrie was out. And I don't think you can criticize him for the inefficiency because you look at the offensive burden, the kind of shots he has to take. He had to do everything for that offense with Kyrie out. He was averaging 22 a game and 6.4 assists. Now with Kyrie coming back, I watched just the first quarter in Nets Sixers today. Kyrie had zero points. Spencer Dinwiddie had 12. So Kyrie's looked good since he came back. It's fun to still see Dinwiddie producing, though, because this dude is really exceptional and has gotten better, significantly better, Every season in the league, uh, which has been really fun. I also considered Nemanja Bialica, who had 34 one game and just can explode because of that raw shooting ability. And Tristan Thompson, who somehow scored 35 in a game. I didn't watch that game. I can't imagine how he did it. Um, But he's had a weirdly like productive season, at least. No, I read about that in the paper. I didn't watch the game, but I read about it. In the New York Daily Sun? No, it was actually in the Blackstone Herald. That's a good publication. That's a good publication. All right, so enough talk of publications. Let's move on to the last award, Logan. I think this has been a great award show. Better than the Globes, I'll tell you that much. Not as good as the Griffies, though. Probably not on the level of uh, heat checks the Griffies, but... The last award, our favorite draft prospect from over winter break. Now, if we're doing favorite draft prospect overall, obviously the answer for me would be Denny Avidya. But I was in love with Denny Avidya long before winter break. Who shot up the board for you? Well, I didn't even uh, think shot up the board. I kept it pretty simple. My favorite dra- uh, draft prospect uh, through and through has been Anthony Edwards. Uh-huh. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. Um, there are a couple guys I would like to mention, obviously. I, I love LaMelo Ball's game. Yeah. 
I love what he's been doing in the NBL. Um, R.J. Hampton is a bit of a sleeper guy. Obviously, he's a big-time prospect coming out of high school, and I still like his draft stock. And um, finally, the only guy I'm going to mention here is uh, James Wiseman. Obviously, he would not have won this award because of you know what happened with the NCAA. Yeah. I do like Wiseman, though, for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think just out of the guys you mentioned, LaMelo is really special offensively. The playmaking ability is insane. The vision, the touch on those passes, the touch on his floaters. You want to see maybe a little bit more consistent of an outside shot and improved effort defensively for sure. But offensively, he is a marvel. And Anthony Edwards is really skilled. He's a guy that can fill it up as a scorer and also, you know, poses some defensive talent because of the way he's built. He's just an athletic guy too. But for me, the guy that really climbed, and when I say favorite, I don't mean, you know, number one on my big board. I mean, just a guy that I really like is Tyrese Halliburton. And I think that was a case for a lot of people. I think he's a guy that shot up a lot of big boards and a lot of mock drafts, but that's the Iowa state point guard. For those of you who don't know, he's six, five, six, six, super long on defense. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He averages 2.6 steals per game. He's kind of just a disruptor there. And I think in a lot of ways, he fits the big point guard mold of these days. You know, there's a lot of big ball handlers in the NBA right now. You have the Luka Doncic's and the LeBron James. And, you know, even Giannis Antetokounmpo, slightly different, but these big guys are handling the ball. They can get off passes from these different angles that a guy like a Chris Paul can't get because he, you know, he can't throw the ball from that angle and he can't see in the same way. Halliburton has great vision, makes passes from all those angles. He's a good shooter, hits 41.7% of his threes and 75% of his free throws. Smooth scorer overall. Only weird thing about him is he only takes two free throws a game, but he's a guy that I really like and I would bet on succeeding in the NBA. And I think he's probably going to go. Looks like he might go top five in the draft now. So he's really shot up. Really? Yeah. At least what I was looking at, I saw a couple places that had him mocked four. Um, I would still take Denny Avidia over all of them. Oh, okay. It might be fun actually for me to make a big board to see how different it is from, you know, like if you take all the biases out of it, because like I'm not a James Wiseman guy. I think James Wiseman is limited skill wise and he's kind of, how is he that different from a DeAndre Ayton, you know? I think he's a little bit like a DeAndre Ayton, but maybe even a little less dominant athletically. He's probably faster. I think uh, I think people are going to be turned off uh, by Halliburton a little bit at the jump just because of his weight. Mm. Uh, he's a pretty light guy. He is slim. He's slim. Um, but if he can bulk up, you know, maybe just 10 pounds. Don't make the KD mistake, though. That's what I was. Don't be Colin Cowherd and go on the air and say he couldn't even do one bench press. I always think Colin <laughs> Cowherd is a lisp and people tell me he doesn't have a lisp. He doesn't. Well, I hear it. I hear it every time. Okay, um, you know, join us next time on Nerd Sesh. We will debate whether Colin Coward has a lisp or not. Yeah. But um, in all seriousness, I think that's going to wrap it up for the Winter Break Awards. We're going to be back with more awards on Sunday with our midseason NBA awards. It'll be a little late, but who cares? You guys, how about you don't be such sticklers? Give us a break. We're college students. Um, And on Friday, we're going to be talking about the NFL Hall of Fame class that just came in. So that should be a fun one. Other than that, I've been Carson Breber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Thanks for joining us again. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.